morning. So this month we've been praying. Let's see if you guys remember. Lord, help us see people as you do. Yes. And um, as we've been studying the book of Matthew, we have learned more about how to see ourselves and other people with grace and with discernment. And today, our scripture passage we're going to look at is going to talk about seeing God as he is and where he is at work with us and among us. So please turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16, verse 21. We'll start there. We actually looked at these passages last week. You may remember, but we looked at them through the lens of the rivalry that was brewing among the disciples. Their rivalry, their insecurities, kept them from seeing how God really wanted to work among them, from what Jesus was really trying to do. I'll say that one again. Their insecurities kept them from seeing how God wanted to move among them. So today we're going to look at the same passage, but this time through the lens of what God was actually trying to do. And then we're going to turn that lens on us and see what God is trying to do among us, okay? So, um, in verse 13, you may remember Jesus asks, so who do people say that I am? And the disciples answered, well, some think you're Elijah or Jeremiah or some other prophet. And Jesus says, well, who do you think I am? And Peter's like, I know, I know, I know. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And this, of course, is the right answer. Peter is one of the first to understand that about Jesus. And then Jesus goes on and he tells, he begins to tell them some difficult things. Verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law. And that he would be killed. And on the third day, raised to life. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. You see, Peter, he rebukes Jesus, because his vision of who Jesus was, was too small. Even though he understood that Jesus was the Son of God, his vision of who Jesus was and what Jesus came to do was too small. Jesus, or Peter's vision of Jesus, and why Jesus had come into his life, it, you know, it, it was victory, Right? That Jesus was going to teach people to obey God, the right way to obey God. He was going to heal people. He was going to conquer the Romans and, and set up this victorious kingdom and Peter would have a job ruling in it. That's a pretty big vision if you think about it. That, that's, that kind of vision would stretch any of us, right? It wasn't big enough. It wasn't even close to being big enough. Jesus came not just to teach people how to obey God, but to teach them to have a relationship with God. 
He came not only to heal bodies, but to heal hearts and souls. He came not to conquer the Romans, but to conquer all sin and all injustice. And, And he came not to set up a kingdom Peter could see, but one that he couldn't see. A spiritual kingdom that would include people from all different tribes and tongues and ethnicities and throughout all time. A kingdom that would span the ages and go all the way into eternity, giving its citizens eternal life. That's what he came to do. What is your vision of Jesus in your life? When you imagine the difference Jesus makes in your life, when you imagine what it looks like, if if Jesus, the Son of God, is working in your life, what, what is that vision? For many of us, we envision pain avoidance. That, that when Jesus is actively working in our lives, we're going to have victory and be able to avoid pain. That certainly was Peter's vision. That's why when Jesus says he has to suffer and die, Peter rebukes him. But Jesus had much bigger things in mind than mere pain avoidance. Jesus was actually going to dive right into that pain. Amen. Emotional, relational, physical pain. He dove right into all of it. Into disappointment, betrayal, rejection, physical torture. He didn't try to avoid it. He dove into it. Not so he could avoid death, but so he could conquer it for us. So he could pave the way for us also to go through the pain to life everlasting. Make no mistake about it. God doesn't cause our pain. The Bible's very clear. He created this world good, and then he gave it to us to reign. I don't know if you've thought about that, but you reign on this earth. You know, whether a person reigns a nation or a business or their home or just the two square feet that you occupy, you reign. And the way that we collectively as humans reign over this earth, when we reign in selfishness and wickedness, it breeds pain that goes beyond us and hits other people. And it breeds brokenness. And God, he loves us. But he hates that pain and brokenness that we breed. And so he has come not to help us avoid it, but to annihilate it. To help us go through it to the new heaven and the new earth where there'll be what? No more pain. After Jesus rebukes Peter, this is what he says, verse 24, the next verse. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. 
What good is it if someone gains the whole world yet forfeits their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with the angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. God's pain isn't merely free plan is not merely for you to avoid pain. He wants you to conquer it. Romans five thirty five no Romans eight, sorry, thirty five to thirty seven. Who then shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, shall hardship, shall, per- shall persecution, famine, nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, this is a quote from the Psalms, For your sake, God, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No! <laughs> That's not who you are. No, in all these things, in the hardship, in the pain, and all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You are more than a conqueror. But you cannot be a conqueror if you are actively avoiding a struggle. I mean, just think about that. You, you cannot be a conqueror if you're actively avoiding the struggle. To be a conqueror means what? You've had to overcome something really difficult. Yes, exactly. Now, I'm not saying we go looking for pain, all right? <laughs> and I'm not saying we stay in abusive relationships or anything like that, no. But I'm saying as followers of Jesus Christ, we should not fear struggles or hardships. We don't go looking for them. And we don't dive headfirst into them. We don't have to do that. Because he's the one who dove into it. We just follow him through it. He's paving that way for us. And we follow him knowing that we're going to reap an even greater reward. That he'll lead us to that promised land. Where there's no more pain and suffering. But Peter, like us, he fears the pain. And part of the reason he feared the pain was because his vision of who Jesus is was just too small. And so Jesus blew up his vision. That's what happens next. The next verse, verse 28. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. That's a direct reference to what's going to happen six days later. But Jesus is going to blow up Peter's vision. All right? Next verse, 17 verse 1. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. And just then appeared before the Moses and Elijah, talking with Jesus. And Peter said, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters. One for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Can you imagine what Peter was feeling in that moment? Like the awe, the wonder, the terror, like all of that. 
Have you ever felt the presence of God? Amen. And it was just like, whoa! And inspiring. And, and Peter, he's like, it's good for us to be there. Have, have you ever felt that? Where you've been in a worship service or some other place, or praying with me, and you know God is presence there, and you're like, it's good for us to be here. Why does he want to build shelters? Yeah, but he wants to keep Jesus there. This is a good moment. Let's keep this going, right? I'll, I'll build you a shelter. He doesn't say he's going to build himself a shelter. Did you get that? I mean, he knows he still has to go back to real life, but he wants to be able to come back to this whenever he can, right? And, and maybe bring some other people. So they can experience Jesus in all his glory. Jesus had no intention of staying in the little box Peter could put him in. The next verse. While Peter was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them and a voice from the cloud said this is my son whom I love with him I am well pleased listen to him when the disciples heard this they fell face down to the ground terrified but Jesus came and touched them get up he said don't be afraid And when they looked around, they saw no one but Jesus. Jesus has no intention of staying in the little boxes that we can construct for him. He has every intention of going out into the world, of entering the chaos and the mess and transforming it. Yeah, some some will reject him. But to those who receive him, he gives them the promise that they are become children of God. Amen. I believe that to many of us, Jesus is saying, get up. Do not be afraid. And look only at me. See only me. And if we do, if we get up and if we shake off our fears and keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, he will do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. That he will work in ways that we can't even fathom because it doesn't fit in our little boxes. I have a dream. It's a dream about how God can be working in and through us. And it's been brewing in me ever since we studied Ephesians together. Some of you were here for that. Um, we've, we have more people since then, so that's awesome. But um, let me just re- recap this for you real quick. Ephesians talks all about who we are. It's the body of Christ, the church, right? And so um, Ephesians 1, 17 through 23. Let me read this. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Why? 
so you may know him better. This is a prayer for them to experience like the transfiguration. That they're going to get a revelation so that they will know Jesus, God, better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened and that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. That power is in you. And seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in this present age, but also in the age to come. And God placed under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything. For who? The church. For us. And who are we? His body. The fullness of him. Who fills everything in every way. And so ever since then, I have been praying and dreaming about God. How, how, how are we, your body, taking your fullness everywhere, in every way, <laughs> out there? And um, he's just given me this really simple dream, honestly. But before we can... Before we can understand how to do this, how the mission is, just like the prayer says, we first have to understand more about who Jesus is. Just like Peter, he, he first had to have the transfiguration moment before he got the mission. And the prayer talks about how we first have to have the spirit of revelation and know Jesus more before we'll get the mission. So, um, unfortunately, I cannot replicate the transfiguration for you this morning. Um, but I am going to try to help you understand a little more about Jesus in a way that you've never quite understood before, okay? Jesus, he has many names in scripture. He doesn't actually get the name Jesus until he's born of Mary. His first name if you get it, it's going to, you know. His first name reveals how he works in our world. His first name that he's revealed by in scripture is the word of God. We see him working in Genesis chapter 1. God is there hovering over the earth. He speaks and what happens? What does his word do? It's creates. God speaks in his breath. That's the Holy Spirit. The, the Hebrew word for spirit means breath. The Holy Spirit is the breath of God. So God speaks. The Holy Spirit carries the word. And the word then transforms things. He tra- specifically, he transforms our world from chaos into good. Good. That's what he does. John 1 summarizes this for us. John 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. That's clear reference to Genesis. Through Him, all things were made. 
Without him, nothing has been made. So God speaks and his word creates. And and what this means is um, everything in our world is created by the word. And so everything in our world still responds to the word. It's it's not neutral. It can't resist him because it's formed by him. And then if if you keep reading through that chapter of John, John chapter 1, John goes on to explain that the word then becomes Jesus, basically. He says this, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. This is what we celebrate at Christmas. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. So the word becomes flesh, he's born of Mary, becomes Jesus. And then at the end of all time, Revelation says this, that he comes back at the end of time. He is dressed in a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. Both in the beginning and the end, he is forever the Word of God. And so as the Word of God, how does he work? God speaks him, and he transforms our world. But because he is the Word of God, he doesn't come unless what? He's spoken. God doesn't speak, he doesn't come. Do you remember last week we talked, there was a verse that where Jesus says, I can do nothing on my own, just I can only do the will of my Father? Yeah. God doesn't speak, he doesn't come. God speaks, he comes, and he transforms our world. So, the incarnation, this is when the word becomes flesh. That's what theologians call it, the incarnation. God speaks, the Holy Spirit carries the word to Mary, right? The Holy Spirit overshadows Mary, and she gives birth to the word of God. Literally, the word of God, he puts on flesh, he puts on a body so he can speak himself to us. That's what the incarnation is. The word of God puts on a body and dwells among us so he can speak himself to us. So he comes when God speaks or when we speak God's word. That's the part. If you look throughout scripture, all throughout scripture he comes when the Holy Spirit inspires people to speak God's word. Not when we speak our own words, but when we speak God's word. Um, I, I, it was hard to narrow it down to a few scriptures, but we'll just look at three here. Second Peter 1, 20 through 21. Above all, above all, get this. You must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in human will, but prophets, though they're human, they spoke from God as they're carried along by the Holy Spirit. And that's why we call this the Word of God. This is the record of God sending His breath, and His breath, His Spirit, giving humans the Word. And they speak it, and it's right here. And and when you speak it, do you know what you do? You speak Christ out into the world. 
Second Samuel 23, 2. This is David speaking. He says, the spirit of the Lord spoke through me. His word was on my tongue. The word is not a what here, it's a who. He speaks the word that the spirit gives him and he's speaking Christ's presence out into the world. First Thessalonians 2.13 And we also thank God continually because you received the word of God, which you heard from us, from humans, right? And you accepted it not as human word, but as it actually is. The word of God who is at work among you who believe. It's not letters on the page that's at work among you to believe. It is Christ. And they receive the word as Christ. This is how we incarnate Christ. This is how we are his body. We speak him into the world. We speak the word of God. Do you realize that when you speak the word of God aloud, you are speaking Christ's presence into the world? That's what you're doing. And you don't have to elaborate on it. You don't even have to teach it or anything like that. He can hold his own. Hebrews tells us, for the word of God is living and active. Right? Amen. And it can goes right into people's souls. Isaiah 55.11 says, for the word of God does not return void. It always accomplishes the purpose it's sent for. When you speak the word of God, it's going to transform things, whether you can see it or not. Because you're sending Christ out into the world. So the word, I mean, he put on a body so he could speak himself to you, right? The word put on flesh, he put on a body so he could speak himself. You already have a body. You have a body made in whose image? God's image. And with you, if your body made in the image of God, you speak the word of God, you are speaking Christ's transformative presence into our world. Yes, some will reject him. But even in their rejection of him, they're still changed. Things are still transformed. Nothing can go unchanged by the word of God. So send him. Don't worry about those who will reject him because, you know, he's dealt with a lot of rejection already. He can handle it. But send him. Because as John 1.12 says, to all who receive him, he gives the right to become children of God. So back to my little dream. I began to dream that all over Calhoun and Jackson counties we would go out and just read scripture with people. Speaking Christ's presence into the world. And so um, I created these little cards and 
I, I just thought Lent would be a great time to do this. And, and so I just want to ask you, you know, instead of giving up for something for Lent, why don't you, you know, indulge in the bread of life for Lent? <laughs> and so, um, on here, there's like a little schedule for each week. It, it gives you a different passage from Matthew to read. It just read about Jesus. And I just dreamed that we, we would go to people and say, hey, you know, for Lent, I'm going to read about Jesus. Do you want to read about Jesus with me? Like on lunch break, maybe once a week? And the card, it, it gives you, what, you know, what to read. It kind of walks you through how, how to do this. It says, okay, steps for your gathering. Number one, greet one another. Like, hey, how you doing? Yeah, good. Okay. Um, who is comfortable reading aloud? Okay, so the passage is Matthew eleven twenty five through twelve fourteen. Does anyone want to read? I mean, I can read it all, but I I don't have to. Do you? Want, okay. How about you read this paragraph and I'll read this? Okay, good. Next step. Um, humbly ask for insight. It gives you a prayer. God, thanks for your word. Help us to understand and apply it. That's all. And then you read it. And then there's some discussion questions that you can use if you want to. They're just helpful little prompts for discussion. Or you can just say, what do you think? That's what I thought. You don't have to teach anything. And you definitely don't have to correct anybody. God's word will work on its own. You're not his head. You don't have to know everything about him. You're his body. You just have to speak him. And then it says, you know, at the end, pray together. And then there's tips for praying in a group together that makes it not awkward. And, and so that was just this dream that um, with our families and, and coworkers or neighbors or um, classmates at school, that we would just be like, hey, for Lent, I'm going to read about Jesus. Would you read about Jesus once a week with me on lunch? That's it. I mean, and I know some of you are thinking like, oh, but I don't know who to ask. Why choose? Who doesn't need the word of God in their life? Right? Why do we discriminate these things? Our world is dying for him. People are dying. And people, they crave life. They crave peace. They crave love. And He is the Word of life. He is the Prince of Peace. He is love. He is everything they are craving. And everything they need. And everything that we need. So why hold Him back? Why hold Him back? You're His body. The only one He's got here now. You understand that? Incarnation. He took on a body so he could speak himself to us. And then what happened? He went away. He, like, he went up. The body is no longer here on earth. I have often asked him about that part of the plan. <laughs> like, why didn't you stay? His plan is bigger. His plan is now for you. You are his body. So you either hold him back or you speak him out. So 
so speak him. And just trust that he will do the work that the Father sends him to do. You don't have to do it. You just have to speak him. And I just, I just want to, I just think of the transfiguration and I, and Jesus just telling them, get up. Do not be afraid. See only me. Do not let your insecurities put Jesus in a little box of what he can do in and through you. You're his body. You're his box. Let him out. Um, We're going to pray over Kathleen and Robin. I think some... Okay, Cheryl's going to go get Robin, so... Um, I probably should have said that like five minutes ago. But they're going to Guatemala um, on a medical missions trip. They're um, going to do five 12-hour shifts of ministering to people um, through medicine, through bringing healing to them. We're going to pray over them in commission because they're also taking Christ's presence with them. They're not just taking medicine, they're taking Christ's presence. And so we're going to pray over them. And then I'm going to pray over all of you. And we, ha- I have these little cards up here at our prayer bowls. The whole worship team will come up and they'll do what they do so beautifully. They'll lead us in worship. But the prayer bowls are open if you want to write a prayer and offer it up to the Lord. You know, there's the post-it notes in your baskets. You can do that. If you fold them, I won't read them. I'll keep them in a locked door until we have a burning ceremony. If you leave them open, I'll pray with you on Tuesday. You can do that anonymously. You don't have to put your name on it. But these cards are also up here. And so I pray you come and take some. 